trans acceptance and LGBT acceptance in general is on the decline for the first time in decades. And I think there's a reason for that. I think people are finding that, like I said, it's too hard to keep up with the ever-changing rules for how you're supposed to talk, walk, interact, speak about certain things, how you can't speak about certain things if you have a certain identity or skin color. It's just too much for people. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is an American YouTuber, Blair White. Welcome to Trigonometry. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of your channel, so it's really cool to be here. That's very kind of you to say. Actually, I think when I first joined YouTube, I remember watching some of your stuff. So it's very much a mutual feeling. And we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's awesome to have you here. Listen, before we get into all the juicy stuff, and there's a lot of juicy stuff to get into in the last few weeks, uh, just tell everybody here in the UK, people may not be familiar with, with you and your backstory. Who are you? How are you where you are? What has been your journey through life that leads you to be sitting here talking to us? Right. So like you mentioned, I'm a YouTuber, which has, it's definitely an unexpected event in my life becoming a YouTuber. I never sought out intending to have this be a career or a job or any big part of my life. I put up a video about five years ago, ranting about my experience on my college campus, being overrun by extreme liberalism and I expected maybe seven people to watch it and I woke up and it had thousands of views. And ever since then, my life has been completely different. Um, you know, I am a trans woman. I often try to bring a different perspective to trans issues on YouTube because I find that there is a serious lack of nuance in the conversation from other trans people on the platform and also trans activists in general. I'm often described as sort of the anti-trans activist. I definitely, you know, advocate for trans people, but in a much different way than the traditional sort of extreme leftist activists that you guys maybe have a caricature of in your mind. Um, I am a Republican, so I'm known for that. And people think that's a bit of a contradiction being trans and Republican, but I could go off for days about how it's not. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of me in a nutshell right now. Yeah, well, we'll get into a lot of the stuff you mentioned there. Uh, but the first thing, just for me, I'd like to say I'm very jealous of you because our YouTube experience was exactly the opposite. We uploaded our first video expecting it to get a lot of views and it got absolute bugger all. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's good that you had the opposite experience. Uh, but listen, of course, the, the trans issue is heavily, uh, heavily talked about at the moment. We've talked about it with many, many people in the past, but we wanted to get your taken because I saw we saw a video you did about this uh, transracial Korean guy. Mm. So for the yeah. Uh, so can you explain to us? I mean, this is something that a lot of us have been warning about. Like if you can self identify as whatever you want, why can't you be? A diff why can't Blair, let me ask you, why can't you be Korean if you want to be? Right. Well, I so I did a video about this individual, um, which I believe is a troll. And it's kind of a brilliant troll if you think about it, because um, his name's Ollie London, and he's really playing into the rules set by the woke left. They have completely attempted to remove any and all science behind being transgender or being transsexual is the proper term. Um, and they've made all identities valid. So if all identities are valid, then that one kind of has to be valid too. Um, I, of course, disagree that it's valid. I don't think there's any science behind being transracial, any sort of like, you know, happening in the womb that we see with some people who are transsexual. So I think it's different. Um, but I also think that the left doesn't get to play it both ways. It doesn't get to say all identities are valid. It doesn't get to say that there are thousands and thousands of genders and you can change your, your gender and your biological sex, but you can't change your race. And it's interesting that you say you can't change your race. What? I can't believe I'm asking this question. Why can't you change your race? <laughs> if people think that you can change your sex? Well, that's the thing. People do think that you can change your sex, but I'm definitely not one of those people. I think that biological sex is, it is what it is, you know, despite being a trans woman, which is the cultural word for the place I hold in society, I am absolutely a biological male. I was born that way. I will die that way. I wasn't assigned at birth. It was a biological sex that was observed and recorded at birth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not playing by the rules in the first place, so I don't think I have to justify, like, 
why you can no, change no. your razor. You, def- you don't. Def- you definitely don't have to justify. But take us through the logical sequence of the difference, right? Because to a lot of people who don't know much about this issue, which is pretty much right. everybody, right? Probably us included to a large extent. This has all been kind of. I remember we interviewed people on our channel, and I'd be like, "Well, why can't we just all be like polite, right? You know, people people want to identify as well, and they're not quote unquote hurting anyone." Again, our research since and a lot of the stories that come out recently have disabused us of that notion on some things. But why? What's the difference between being transsexual and being transracial, quote unquote? Well, being trans uh, transsexual rather has a medical history behind it. Um, It's been recorded throughout history. There are people who, for biological reasons, whether it's feminization or masculinization in the womb, deal with gender identity. I don't think that it makes them the opposite sex. I think that it makes them struggling with their current sex. And so I think when you have things like gender dysphoria, which up until recently was classified as a mental disorder, um, you know, these are things that are found in nature, whereas as far as I know, there's no equivalent to gender dysphoria, racial dysphoria, or, um, you know, something that happens in the womb to make someone feel a different race. So I do think it's different in that sense. Um, But what's interesting is, you know, I personally disagree with the declassification of gender dysphoria as a mental disorder. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that it is a mental disorder. I think especially in this era of trying to destigmatize mental disorders, um, it's the best descriptor for it. I think that if you're born with sort of a, a misalignment mentally with your biological sex and your sense of being, and that that is something that negatively impacts your mental health, that's a mental disorder. Um, and for me, you know, I don't see any issue with calling anxiety a mental disorder, with calling depression a mental disorder. So why would gender dysphoria be one? Um, so I think the primary difference, obviously, between transracial and transsexual is that there are biological vehicles to take someone to transition and struggle with their gender. And Blair, what does it say about our culture when this particular individual gets such traction and it becomes a talking point? Whereas 10 years ago, we would have looked at this person and thought, well, there's clearly something not quite right there. Well, I think it's because, like I said before, like there is this new narrative that all identities are valid. So... You know, I think that a lot of people saw this as something funny, something that was like a troll. At least I did. Um, and like I said, it's brilliant in the sense that it it reveals the hypocrisy of the rules of the woke left, which is that you have to accept it. Of course, they're not. They're attacking him, but it's hypocritical. And we talk about the rules of the woke left. Could, number one, could you just go through them for us? And number two, and this is a question I really wanted to ask you, is do those do these rules help you? Help me personally? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, no, if anything, they make my life my life a living hell. Uh, so asking me to recite the woke rules, I don't know. They change every five seconds. And if you don't keep <laughs> up, you're canceled. So who the fuck knows? But, um, you know, it's ideas like trans women are women without any meaningful delineation between the two. It's rules like um, all white people are racist. It's rules like... Um, I don't know, you're ableist if you say the word retarded. Like, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's too much to keep up with. It it very much contradicts human nature and the ways that we interact with each other. Um, and frankly, as a trans person, you mentioned, does it help you? Absolutely not. It does the opposite in the sense that it actually makes people feel like they have to walk around on eggshells around me, which isn't a good feeling for me. You know, I'm someone who's very sociable. I have an active social life. And I hate when I feel that moment where, someone thinks that they might say something that offends me or they might say something that's out of line because even if they did, it's not a big deal. And I would rather have a real conversation about it rather than, you know, get upset and make them feel bad about themselves. So um, the trans community and the activists that they tend to propel to the top and those rising voices that sort of scream over the rest of us, more sane ones in the community, um, they are the craziest of the bunch and they do way more harm than good. I often say they only know how to shoot themselves in the foot. 
So they definitely, you know, trans acceptance and LGBT acceptance in general is on the decline for the first time in decades. And I think there's a reason for that. I think people are finding that, like I said, it's too hard to keep up with the ever-changing rules for how you're supposed to talk, walk, interact, speak about certain things, how you can't speak about certain things if you have a certain identity or skin color. It's just too much for people. And I do expect a pendulum swing eventually, um, but it's not really... I guess it's still a little far off. Well, this is what I was going to ask you about because I, I don't know. I was actually quite looking forward to the Olympics in Tokyo because I thought that, you know, the conversation about trans women in sport uh, was going to get a bit of a, a different perspective on it when you see the visuals of active competition. Uh, we, we're not sure if they're going to go ahead. Uh, do you think stuff like that will start to bring it to, to the fore to people that this is more than just about kind of respecting people's pronouns there's an actual real life consequence to some of the stuff i hope so you know when i saw that um there were trans athletes that were going to the olympics i was upset because you know i've taken a lot of heat for this but i'm not someone who supports trans women and women's sports i think that almost all of the time it's highly unfair um i think that that's just a very simple biological reality that biological males have just a list of advantages even if they are on estrogen um However, then I kind of like, I kind of agree with you. I was like, well, maybe it's a good thing because the overwhelming amount of people who argue in defense of trans women and women's sports, they have a completely different picture in their mind. They probably don't even know any trans people that are trying to be virtuous. Um, it's an issue that they just want to be nice about, frankly. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, so they do support it. However, there are just stunning visuals. I'm sure you guys have seen them. There are just like the best pictures that are almost a parody of like trans uh, track. What's the word? Pe people who play track. I don't know. Competitors. Athletes. Athletes. Trans athletes. Okay. Yeah. Trans athletes, whatever. Yeah. Um, clearly, I don't know anything about sports. Uh, <laughs> like just looming over their biological female competitors, like beating them, wiping them the fuck out. And it's like, how can anyone look at those pictures and be like, oh yeah, that's fair. Like it's a joke. Um, you know, so... Again, that's one of the things I get the most hate for that I don't support it, but I don't I don't really see why being included in sports is a human right. It's not like you're being denied housing or food or a job. It's 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 sports. It it's a very good point, Blair. Do you don't you think the problem is is that most of the people who watch this will share your point of view and they will have complete empathy for your position and will want you to live as full a life as as possible and for you to be happy as possible. But they don't feel that they can say trans women shouldn't be in female sports because that's a way to get ruined, cancelled, have your career shut down, etc., etc. Absolutely. I'm trans and I get attacked for it. So imagine if someone who isn't trans is saying it. You know what I mean? Uh, but I do find that most people feel that way. Like, because I've done videos on this topic, I suddenly have people reaching out that I know in real life that aren't political at all, that don't have any, you know, necessarily political persuasion who are like, I've never been able to say it. You know, I have people who play sports, like good example. Um, my mom called me and said that my nephew had two trans athletes playing in, I think it was like tennis or something at their high school. And that they're just kind of like demolishing everyone and no one's allowed to talk about it. Like, this is just something that people tend to suspend their knowledge of how the real world works to argue in favor of, um, which doesn't work. And you say it doesn't work, but eventually you can suspend your real life knowledge of the world, but eventually the world is going to come and slap you in the face, as I've found many times to my cost. Right. So that's are why you, I actually... Are you coming out here? Is no, that what's happening? no, 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 no. Not at all. <laughs> So that's why, I'm, that's why I'm actually excited about um, those athletes going to the Olympics, because I think that when people see that uh, juxtaposition, um, like Laurel Hubbard, for example, you guys know who that one is? Like, come on. Like, if you want to talk about like track and maybe baseball or something, it's like, okay, let's have the debate. But like weightlifting, something that's completely upper body driven and complete, like, come on. It's so obvious. But, you know... It's, it's one of those things that I think people have to see to have their minds changed about.
Hey KK, do you like feeling silky and smooth like a sexual dolphin? Never talk to me again. What if I told you that Manscaped have brought out a new and improved lawnmower 3.0 that allows you to be fresh and trim for the ladies down below. I'm married. The last time I was fresh and trimmed down below, Jimmy Savile was a respected children's entertainer. I'm going to ignore that. The lawnmower has a cutting edge ceramic blade which reduces the risk of having an accident where you least want an accident. My bank account. No, you idiot. You know, lost boss. Oh, right. Plus, it's waterproof, which means you can groom in the shower and it has an LED light, so you can really get an accurate and precise trim. Excellent. Sounds great. What's the battery like? 90 minutes, so you can do your whole area in about seven recharges. To take advantage of this incredible offer, go to manscaped.com and you'll get 20% off with free shipping. Just use our code, which is of course, trigger20. That is trigger20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code, which is of course, TRICKER20. Your huevos will thank you. Excellent. Blair, and you alluded to the fact that this issue is political. And the truth is, I guess we probably wouldn't be talking about it if it, was, if it wasn't a constant thing that was talked about in a political way. Why, can you explain this to me? Why is this issue political at all? Well, because I think that um, transgenderism has become a political issue, which it really shouldn't. Um, I always argue in favor for the fact that it should be treated as a medical, a neurological issue completely. Um, but there is this movement to demedicalize what being trans is, to say that you don't need gender dysphoria to be trans, to say that, you know, there are no biological differences between male and female, which is a contradiction for why they keep allowing and pushing for underage children to get surgeries. But, um, you know, when you remove any meaningful way to diagnose something, all you have left is the politics of it. And that's what's unfortunate, that there are real trans people who are who have found themselves becoming this political football being thrown back and forth between these two sides that, frankly, both sides always get it wrong. Uh, so, you know... Maybe it's a pipe dream. Maybe it's impossible. But we have to attempt to depoliticize the issue. We have to t attempt to regain control of the narrative that it is a medical issue, in my opinion, because that's historically how it was always treated. You know, there was a time before this hyper wokeness that, you know, maybe not everyone really knew what being trans was, but everyone kind of had this um, underlying knowledge in the back of their head that there are some people that want to be women and some people that want to be men when they are not and that those people have surgeries and have hormones and that it's like a medical thing um and frankly i find that things were much less fiery heated and contentious when that was sort of the overall consensus that it was like oh yeah it's a, a medical thing that some people do even if people thought it was weird they saw it as that now it's become this hyper political issue that is just toxic for everyone and it is toxic for everyone do you think part of the problem is, and you've alluded to it earlier in the interview, saying that, you know, people want to do the right thing. Do you think people are conflating the gay rights issue in the early 80s and what, the struggle that gay, uh, that gay people had to trans people uh, in 2021, and they just don't want to make the same mistakes, really? I think that that's part of it. I think that there's this need to be on the right side of history, um, whatever the current right side is perceived to be or correct side, I should say. Um, and yeah, it's just, we live in an environment where if you are not seen as 1000% accepting, 1000% on board with the current narrative and in terms of being progressive, you, you almost can't even live in polite society, even in red states, even in places that maybe there are more conservatives because these major corporations that employ people, you don't have the freedom to say how you really feel about things. Even if it is something as you know, I don't think it should be controversial at all to say that sports should be, you know, segregated by biological sex, but it's become something that is. I don't think it's controversial at all to say that 12 year olds should not be going on hormones before they even hit puberty and are castrating themselves and removing their ability to have children. That's something people don't often talk about when it comes to trans kids, by the way. When you transition as an early teenager or a child, you can't have kids later in life, which I think is a it's a whole other topic. We don't have to get into that right now. But, um, you know, 
long story short, people don't feel like they can say how they really feel. Mm. Well, Blair, you, you bring up children, and this is something we've talked a lot about. We've had uh, Marcus Evans, who's a whistleblower from the Tavistock Clinic here in the UK that was involved in a lot of the stuff. Uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong about your own biography, but I think you 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 said you came out as, as trans, uh, transsexual at the age of about 20, right? Yes. But but you had felt gender dysphoria from childhood. Yes. My earliest memories in life were that of gender dysphoria. That's why I feel so strongly about it being a biological issue. I think if something is present at four years old and persists your entire life, there's something neurological or biological about that. So Right. So where I'm leading you is would it not have been better for you to transition as a kid so you could have just been grown up being a, a transsexual woman and, uh, you know, from a girl from a young age and go through that whole period of life? Uh, with with the with the gender that you now are, I don't think so. I think that if I had gone on hormone replacement therapy as a teenager, maybe let's say thirteen, fourteen years old, I don't think I would have been ready for that. I think that oftentimes, unless you go through transition, you don't really understand how extreme of a thing it is for your mental, for your physical, for everything, emotional. Um, and I just don't think that a young teenager is ready for that. Um, I know that I would have not handled it very well at all. You know, I, I did not have my life figured out at 13. None of us do. <laughs> and I think that adding in um, drugs and surgeries would have probably messed me up worse. I think that I was meant to be exactly who I am now. I think that um, I don't regret a single thing along my journey. I don't regret my transition or when it happened. Um, and I think that it also helped me give, it helped to give me a healthier perspective on these issues as well. Um, I think that two things can be true at once. I think that there are people that transition very young and it's kind of like a luck of the draw. Like some of them are happy as adults, some of them are not. You know, I've spoken to many people, young people who are detransitioners, which is people who transition and then regret it and attempt to go back. Um, and so as long as it's sort of this roll of the dice, then I don't support children transitioning. Don't you think, Blair, this is, why, this is where the whole thing might unravel? Even with the thing like women's sports, people be like, you know what, fair enough. You know, trans women are women. They can take part. They can be a shot putter. They can win the gold in the Olympics. It doesn't... Russians win. have been doing it for years. Exactly. But when it comes to people's kids and you start messing with their kids, that's when the whole thing is going to unravel. And people, quite rightly, are going to get very angry about it. Yes, absolutely. And this is the main disconnect, the biggest disconnect between the trans community and the rest of the world. You know, I find that the trans community is often so insular and so hive minded that they don't understand how they're coming across to the general population. And one thing the general population doesn't quite like is when you mess with kids, when you're drugging kids, when you're giving kids surgeries and when you're if you are perceived to be a threat to children, your movement's really over. So um, that's why I fight so hard against it because I don't want the trans community or trans people, individuals who are trans to be seen as a danger to society or children. Um, same thing with women, you know, there's a big divide between um, some feminists and trans people. And I think you guys will cover that as well. I interviewed certain feminists on your channel that feel that way. And for me, it's very hard for me to not understand where they're coming from because you have situations like in Los Angeles recently, um, a trans person allegedly went into a nude spa and was pre-op, meaning that they had male genitals, and it, it is around women and children. And I think that that's absolutely disgusting. And if I was, you know, a biological woman reading that story, I would be like, I'm done. I'm done caring about this. This is awful. So... I think that there is a really big PR problem with the trans community. Um, and if I had it my way, I would change almost all of the messaging and almost all of the things that we are allegedly fighting for. But isn't part of the problem as well is that word community. When the reality is, you know, trans people look at like, take you, for example, you know, you supported, uh, you voted for Trump in the 2016 election. I don't know right. if... Oh, sorry, twice. twice. So you voted for Trump twice, right? Okay, you're a right of center conservative trans woman. The reality is there is no trans community. 
It's just different people who have gender dysphoria and then they live their lives as they choose. Isn't that part of the problem that we just think of trans people and gay people as this homogenous blob? Yes, you're absolutely right. And even I fall into that saying words like trans community, when in reality, we aren't a monolith, you know? Um, and I think that there are so many more people in the trans community that agree with me than people realize. Um, I think that as we've sort of been touching on kind of the biggest theme of this episode is like, people just don't feel like they can say how they really feel. And that includes trans people. You know, oftentimes they don't feel like they're going to get a community from maybe right wingers or people that aren't in the trans community. So they're going to go along with at least publicly, whatever the current narrative of the community is. Um, but I mean, I can tell you, um, I often go to bars in the LGBT part of West Hollywood and I can't walk more than two feet without trans people coming up to me, hugging me, saying they agree with me, saying they can never say that they agree with me, but that they do. But then they see how badly I get treated and they don't want that. Um, so it's interesting. I think that people should start to see people more as individuals. Um, but that's so hard when, you know, we are so divided amongst groups and labels. And I think we just have to work to get out about the best we can. Mm. Well, you talked about the messaging and how if it were up to you, you change almost everything. That's what I was really going to ask you is what, what is what is a healthy way of approaching this whole this whole conversation that we've been having? Hmm. I think if I had just my magic wand and I could change the mindset of the of the community, I would I would say we need to absolutely halt surgeries, puberty blockers, and hormones for our children. I think that it's such a vast injustice that there are so many kids right now. I mean, if you even look up the word detransition or detransitioner on YouTube, it's just like the, the number of young kids is growing every day, uploading their videos and they're going viral for it. So it's not like it can be ignored. It's just kid after kid after kid after kid saying they got looped into believing they're trans by their peer group or by the internet. And now that they've permanently altered their bodies, they realize it was a regret. And I can't imagine anything more tragic. So um, stop with the kid stuff. <laughs> and uh, I think that we need to return to viewing it as a medical issue. Um, we need to continue to destigmatize mental health and mental disorders and go back to admitting that gender dysphoria is a disorder. If, like I said, my earliest memories in life are gender dysphoria. I was four years old feeling like I didn't want to be called he and I didn't know why. I was four years old wanting to play with the girls and not knowing why. I was four years old being uncomfortable with my male name and not knowing why. Um, what I know now is that oftentimes that's the result of feminization in the womb, which is not part of my, not in my control. Um, and so when you have that spanning the entirety of your life, it's hard for me to not view it as a disorder when it causes distress. Um, I think that we need to stop with ridiculous narratives like it's transphobic to not date trans people. I think we need to stop with with all of it. I think all of those things do such harm to actual trans people and it creates such backlash that I would rather focus on so much else. And, and you say you would rather, you'd rather focus on so much else and we've talked about the politics of it. But why can't you be a trans woman and be a Trump supporter? Why do you have to be on the left? Why can't you be on the right and want small government? Is that so crazy? Right. right. And it always <laughs> gets me when people pretend as if it's some sort of contradiction, as if the only thing I'm supposed to care about is being trans, as if the lens in which I view every political, geopolitical issue is supposed to be through the lens of being trans. Like, what the fuck does being trans have to do with my view on the economy, with the size and role of the government with foreign policy with who i'm voting for as governor like i mean i live in los angeles i live in a blue city in a blue state and i've been miserable under democratic leadership what does that have to do with me being trans i don't quite know what well, is Blair, i guess the argument sorry to jump in but i guess the argument if i vocalize the undercurrent that underpins all of this is people on the right are bigots and you are part of a group that is likely to be targeted by bigots. That's, I think, the message, right? Right. And um, it's interesting. Someone actually messaged me yesterday and said, why would you be, you know, 
on the right when they don't actually like you, which is like, I feel like if people on the right didn't like me, I wouldn't have all the success I've had over the years. I mean, hundreds of millions of views from a primarily conservative audience, um, gotten to travel the country speaking to groups of thousands of young people that are conservatives. Like, mm, I'm not quite confident in saying that the right just hates me. But even if they did, even if every single conservative person looked at me as something evil or bad or didn't like me because I'm trans, let's give them that, even if every single one. I'm not part, I don't vote based on how other people feel or vote. I'm not part, I'm not, I don't vote Republican because I want to be part of some group or because I want to be part of some tribe. I vote Republican because it most closely, not perfectly, but most closely aligns with how I think the government should be ran. It's really that simple. I think people that seek community in political spaces find themselves following narratives and groupthink rather than thinking for themselves. Um, so someone messaged me asking me, why would you be a Republican when they all hate you? Um, and pointed to like one Republican who said something nasty about me, some completely irrelevant commentator. And I responded, wow, that's amazing. Thank you for enlightening me. I'm now a Democrat because this one Republican <laughs> said something nasty about me. This completely erases the years of thousands of death threats and doxing and personal attacks from Democrats. Thank you. So if, if I mean, if you want to gauge where I get the most love from, it's going to be the right, so. And we're talking about this. Do you not think that a part of it is because the left, the Democrats, want to see you as a victim? And you obviously don't identify that way. And as a result of that, it really fucking pisses them off, if I'm being honest. Right, but you know what? It pisses me off more that people insist that I am some sort of victim, that it's something controversial for me to say I am not a victim. I'm... A young, successful, I'm beautiful, I'm an entrepreneur, I live my life on my own terms, I've come from nothing and created everything that I have now, which is an incredibly blessed life. I am so far from a victim. I know people who are not trans who suffer 10 times more than me. I know people who are Black who suffer less than more than me. It's all about being an individual. Um, and I think that this push to view people as a collective or as a group or as other trans people are suffering, so that means all trans people are victims or suffering, is so toxic. And I think that it's a very self-defeating lens to view the world. I think that when you view the world through this adversarial lens and you see, like, cis people, or I hate that word, but cis people, or white people, or straight people as the enemy, you're never going to get ahead in life. And so it seems to me that what I'm arguing for is so much healthier for the trans community to believe in, which is self-reliance, independence, entrepreneurship, and just killing it. Like, just go out in life and kill it. That's what you have to do. Um, being trans doesn't hold you back. If anything, being trans has created more opportunities for me. It's just different doors. It's not any less doors that are open for you because you're trans. It's just different doors. And you have to learn to walk through them and navigate with the best of the cards that you're dealt. And I'm gonna. I want to ask you a question. Why don't you like the term "cis"? Because that's a term that really, really gets on. I was gonna say no, on women's tits, like but that's not appropriate. That's a South Londonism. Um, I just think that it's um a bit useless for one, and I think that as long as there are enough people who are cis who say they don't want to be called cis, if we're living in this world where people don't want to be labeled things that don't want to be labeled, then I just try not to use it. You know, um, I think that it's just fine enough to say trans versus biological women or not trans or trans um i think that you don't have to classify 99.8 percent of the population or whatever i think that it, it's just annoying it's more so annoying i don't hate it i don't have some passionate burning hate for it, but i just think it's annoying yeah uh, and listen i'm gonna ask you something kind of provocative in a way do you get bored talking about this stuff are you bored that we're asking you about trans for the first half an hour of this interview no, it's not that I'm bored um, at all. I'm totally happy to talk about these issues because if I'm not talking about it in this way, I don't really know any other influencers that are. And so I think that it's important. Um, but if I'm being honest, there is a bit of a disconnect between like the things that I talk about online and the things that make up my real life and that are important to me in real life. Like in my real life, me being trans is never an issue. I, it's not a topic of conversation with my friends and family. It's not something that I walk down the street and start having a conversation with someone about being trans. So it, it is primarily exclusive to online discourse. So it's never that I'm bored. It's just that, you know, 
in my real life, there are such, I guess, bigger issues like right. fucking rise of communism in the United <laughs> States. Like that's that's like almost more so where my head is at most of the time. But, you know, I do. I will never not talk about trans issues as long as no one else is willing to talk about them like this. You know, there are, you know, maybe a hundred other trans YouTubers and almost none of them say the things I say about trans stuff. So until the majority are saying it, I'll continue. I'll continue saying it. The reason I ask you is uh, from a kind of YouTuber's perspective, you've been incredibly successful uh, with, with your channel. And I was wondering whether you feel somewhat trapped by the audience that you've built by talking about this issue when you really you want to be talking about other sides of the, you know, you talk about some of your political views. Do you ever feel a bit like you'd be quite keen to break out of that a little bit or do you take your audience with you? How do you feel about that? Sometimes, you know, um, I think one of the things that I have done well is I've made my audience care about me as a person and not just the issues I talk about. So, um, you know, on my channel, you'll find personal videos, you'll find um, videos where I call out, you know, child predators. I'm posting one of those later today. Um, I guess sometimes I feel like I'm like forced to talk about trans issues on my channel, but at the same time, like I said, I don't mind it. And also, um, I think that's kind of a common thing with all YouTubers. I think all YouTubers I've ever known feel a sort of pressure to give their audience the content that they come to expect from them and not necessarily everything they want to talk about. So if I had it my way, you know, I'm like fascinated by space. I'd be making videos about space and about potential life in the upper atmosphere of Venus. Uh, but, you know, that's not the world we live in. And so I reserve that for maybe Instagram stories or Twitter, <laughs> shit like that. Do you have a website? Or do you plan to have a website? Well, if you do, then EasyDNS are the company for you. EasyDNS is the perfect domain name registrar provider and web host for you. They have a track record of standing up for their clients, whether it be cancel culture, de-platform attacks, or overzealous government agencies. He knows a bit about that. So will you in a second. EasyDNS have rock solid network infrastructure and incredible customer support. They're in your corner, no matter what the world throws at you, unless it's your ex-girlfriend, in which case you're on your own. You'd know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Move your domains and websites over to EasyDNS right now. All you've got to do is head over to easydns.com forward slash triggered and use our promo code, which is of course triggered as well, and you will get 50% off the initial purchase. Sign up for their newsletter, Access of Easy, that tells you everything you need to know about technology, privacy, and censorship. And Blair, do you sometimes feel, I'm going to level with you. The more we've gone through this pandemic, the more I've become a conspiracy theorist. When I started this Me pandemic. Me too. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, you know that, that's what happens when you've got access to weed and a, a laptop plus 24-hour internet. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, no, yeah. So, but do you not feel sometimes that you're being used as a political pawn? The whole trans thing that, you know, to people, so people get riled up whilst other things are happening that are actually far more important and affect every single person on this planet. Yeah. I feel like it often is a distraction. Um, it's not to say these issues don't matter because I think mm. there are, you know, real life consequences, but right. I would be lying if I said I cared more about it than, you know, the entire world being locked down over a virus with a 99.7% survival rate, um, with, like, more and more of my generation identifying as communists, with Cuba, you know, rising up for the first time, and then the mainstream media completely covering it up by saying that it's about the virus when it's about communism. Um, you know, I think that there are more pressing threats, um, but I also think the culture war matters, and I think that... Mm you know, to have more of a position of power for our side to implement change when it comes to bigger threats like communism and lockdowns and all of that, you have to win the culture war. And why is that, Blair? Why, why do you have to win the culture war? Because the, oops, sorry, because the long and short of it is people vote on the culture war. Most people don't have the time to educate themselves on any sort of real substantive policy, on the economy, on foreign policy. And so while all those things can be great and the right can rail about them all day and night, most people, if you break it down, 
why didn't they want to vote for Trump? Because he's racist and he hates trans people. That's literally what people would say. So until you're reading narrative of these social issues, you're not going to win elections or win people, you know, win anyone's favor. Um, Obviously, I think a lot more was at stake in the election than trans issues or racial issues. But those are the issues that most people, their cap, their capacity for understanding who they should vote for ends there. It doesn't go any further. If you go on the street and you ask people, I mean, I'm I'm a really big fan of um, like on the street videos where people go and interview people. I've done some of them as well. Um, And there's videos where people ask people, why are you not voting for Trump? And it's like, well, because he he did this to trans people. Well, he's racist. People don't think beyond that. Um, So you have to win the culture war. And it's very interesting you say that, that you have to win the culture war because people on the left are denying that the culture war even exists. Well, they deny everything exists. I mean, a very good example of that is like, if you say, um, anytime you tweet, you guys can test it out. If you tweet that biological sex is real, it'll be nothing but left-wing activists saying, no one thinks it's not real. No one thinks it's not real. But yet you have tons of activists going viral every day for saying that it's not real. Um, They have double standards. They like to pretend things don't exist when they exist. If they can't win on an issue, they ignore it, which is kind of genius if you ask me, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that is the MO. You're absolutely right. And do you think that we're ever going to get out of this mess? Because here's the thing, Blair. Maybe it's because I'm getting old, but I, I was remembering a time where people were more civil to one another. We weren't at each other's throats. We weren't hyper partisan. Do you ever? Do you think we can ever get back to that place, or do you think that we're just progressing on the road to hell, as it were? Right. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 27, but I am old. But I also too remember um, a time where it wasn't like this at all either. Um, and I guess what's scary is that younger people don't remember that time. Like people who were maybe becoming teenagers or young adults um, around like 2014, 2015, when there was kind of this shift. Like, I remember the shift, you know. Um, They don't remember a time where it wasn't like this, and this is just how they interact with other people. Um, So that's scary. But I think that if you look at history, the pendulum always swings. Um, I think people will get sick of what's happening eventually. Um, How long that'll take, I can't really say. But someday... This is going to sound really nihilistic and dark. Do someday, it. someday nothing will fucking matter. Like someday the world's just going to end and like the sun's going to fade out and all this bullshit we're doing will not fucking matter. So maybe that's the day all this will be over, but hopefully it'll be sooner than that. <laughs> and, and you identified a shift between 2014 and 2015. I find that very interesting. We've talked to many, many people over the culture war. I can't remember somebody saying that. What particular shift was there? And was it a particular event or something you noticed as a general sort of, as a general rule? I think 2015, Trump announcing his candidacy was definitely a moment because then you saw the media rallying against him. You saw the smears start and things just got really nasty. The discourse got really nasty. Um, people began attacking each other in ways that was seen as maybe uncouth or not acceptable prior to that. Um, But there has been, prior to that, there was a slow burn of academic uh, integrity that was happening on college campuses. That's something that I experienced, um, and that was the subject of my first video ever, was my experience on college campuses. Um, I think it started there. I think that um, in 2014, there just suddenly were more activists than ever in professor roles in colleges. And um, it started in, like, gender studies classes, in my opinion. Uh, And eventually it just kind of overtook everything. And there was this weird, not weird, there was this glorious time where people were against labels and against seeing people in terms of groups and labels. Um, Is that saying racism or sexism and all that was over? No, but I'd say it was pretty mitigated. And I would say that was, like, the mid-2000s. Um, where there was very much an anti-label sort of movement. And then it went to the opposite around 2014, like I said. I can't say exactly like a, a split moment, but I think it was just a slow burn that happened over time. Um, 
But I, I miss the days when you could just say stuff that you wanted to say. I miss the days when you didn't view people who disagreed with you as your mortal enemy. I miss the days when you could disagree with someone without telling them to kill themselves. Um, it's, it's sad, and it's sad to see what people are doing to each other. Yeah. It's a good point, and it's the reason we started the show. And by the way, neither Francis are particularly on the right even, but we do find increasingly that it's easier to have honest and open conversations with people who are right-leaning at least and left-leaning. And that bothers me because a lot of our values, you might say, are somewhat on the left, certainly by UK standards anyway. Uh, but let me ask you this. Are you are you optimistic for America? Because we kind of, from outside, we see a lot of people. We talked about it before we started the interview uh, people are now moving to states that have the policies that they prefer and that sort of alignment. And, you know, are you going to have like 25 red states all kind of bunched up somewhere in the south and then uh, 25 blue states on the coast? So is that what's going to happen here? Am I optimistic? Well, that's a loaded question because I feel like the last year and a half has shown me that like literally anything can fucking happen. I remember... Mm -hmm. You know, yep. like, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but like January through mid-March of 2020 feels like a different planet, like a different yeah. world. Mm. Like, I, I think of like my life back then. And it's like, speaking of a shift, that was a shift. I never would have thought in a million years that everything that happened from, you know, I don't know what it was like over there necessarily, but just the world being shut down and just... I remember being in my apartment in Hollywood overlooking the Walk of Fame and seeing tens of thousands of people and military tanks and cop cars on fire and just the craziest shit I've ever seen and having to evacuate where I live because the world was just on fire. Um, so anything can happen, but I am hopeful that with now things reopening, people's mental health maybe being realigned a little bit slowly but surely um i am hopeful i think that we will persevere i just think that it's going to be an ugly road to get there and i think there's going to have to be a lot of reckoning of things that maybe the left does not want to admit a lot of the things we talked about here today a lot of those things they ignore rather than argue about because they can't win on it um i'm, I'm hopeful maybe it doesn't sound like it but i guess i am no it really doesn't, doesn't. no <laughs> it doesn't. And, you know <laughs> Everything's fucked, okay? We'll see. <laughs> uh, and being being English, I'm very much appreciative of that, Blair. You're always welcome here anytime you want. We're all miserable bastards. So that that's just the English way of looking at things. I mean, I, 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 I share your opinion. I mean, do you think with everything that happened, social media needs to take a lot more responsibility for all of this? Everything that we've seen. Absolutely. I think that, Man, it's hard for me to knock social media for the simple fact that I've, I live like a really awesome life because of it, uh, in my real life. But, um, I think that it's done a lot to people. It's made people so quick to react to things. It's caused so much misinformation. It's caused people to segregate even more. Um, you know, one of the things that I think social media has done is it's caused people to not view other people as people or viewing people as screen names or viewing people as I, as avatars and not as real people. And so I think that it has affected the discourse in like the political sphere of America in a really ugly way. It's dictating the way in which politicians here, you know, lead um, based on if they get Twitter backlash or not, which I think is really toxic and not a way to lead at all. But it also brings to light a lot of really important things. So I think like everything else in the human experience, it's like it's the good and the bad and the ugly and the beautiful and it's all mixed together. Well, this is what I think about sometimes is like if I could press a button and uninvent Twitter, would I? And the truth is I wouldn't. You'd need about three new hobbies, mate. Exactly. Uh, and, and a lot of people I could piss off with no yeah. consequence, which, is, uh, which isn't going to happen anywhere else. Uh, Blair, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Um, let, 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 let us ask you our last question before we do a couple for locals. What is the one thing that we're not talking about as a society that we really should be? Hmm. Well, my sphere of the internet is talking about this, but the mainstream is not. The general public is not. I think that there is an extreme 
I don't want to put anyone's mood down, but I think that there is an extreme push towards the sexualization and normalization of pedophilia. Um, and I think that if that makes me a conspiracy theorist in some people's eyes, that's fine because I think it's real. Um, I think more and more you're seeing stories about really inappropriate texts and videos being shown to kids in school against their parents' consent. You're seeing Drag Queen Story Hour, which was invented by literal convicted pedophiles. Um, and all these things are being normalized. So I think that it's almost the most important thing we can talk about, which is why it's become a staple on my channel, um, fighting against the normalization of pedophiles. And right, so let's get into this bit of very, very thorny issue. So what, what particular examples could you give, Blair? Well, I think that we've seen in recent years sort of a mobilization of pedophiles as a community and um, a push to destigmatize themselves by calling them a politically correct term called MAPS, which is minor attracted people. Um, many people maybe don't know that exists or that's a thing, but it's a thing. I've chronicled it on my channel. You can watch videos on my channel about that. Um, you have them trying to latch onto the LGBT community, which is pretty fucked up considering the LGBT community have fought against stereotypes of being predators and pedophiles for decades. Uh, you know, you have sexuality and gender identity being taught at painfully young ages to kids and in ways that are much more explicit than ever. I think that, you know, for people my age and certainly you guys' age, although I don't know how it is in the UK, I can speak for, you know, the American school system, the way in which we were taught about sexuality and reproduction was a very sanitized sort of um, method through just seeing very technical terms and scientific pictures and whatever. And now you're seeing kids in classrooms watching videos straight up about intercourse and about sex and explicit cartoons. And, um, you know, I think that there is an assault on on kids right now in terms of sexualizing them. And I can't, if you ask me where exactly it's coming from, is there some power that is pushing this or funding this? I can't name it. I don't know. But I know that it's a thing and it's uh, pretty scary. Mm. Well, it's good that you brought it up and uh, I'm sure that's something we'll, we, we'll be paying even more attention to than I think. Uh, you're not the first person who said this. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of truth in what you say. Anyway, Blair, we've got to let you go. Uh, we'll do a couple of quick questions for locals. So uh, before we do let you go, uh, just remind everybody where they can find you online. Just search me up, Blair White, on any platform. I'm pretty much the only Blair White. Uh, but YouTube's my main one, so go subscribe to my YouTube at youtube.com slash Blair White X, all one word. And there's an E at the end of Blair. Everyone forgets. <laughs> Fantastic, Blair. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And thank you all for watching and listening at home. Uh, we will be back very soon with another brilliant interview like this one or Raw Show. And they always go out at 7 p.m. UK time or 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Take care and see you soon, guys. We hope you've enjoyed this incredible interview. Remember to subscribe and hit the bell button so that you never miss another fantastic episode. And if you believe that the work we do here at Trigonometry is important, support us by joining our locals community using the link below. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.